Today's episode of Clip City is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla for as little as $1. And that's no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners, you can get started with a free stock by going to clipcity.robinhood.com. That's clipcity.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to part two of our mid-season grades. I am Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic and the host of this podcast. I'm joined by Justin Russo. Justin, you ready for part two? I'm about as ready as I'll ever be at this point. We're, we're hoping to do like half of the a lot of time we just did uh, for part one, but um, we'll, we'll see where this goes. So our first guy we're going to start with, I guess seventh guy technically, but first guy for part two is Landry Shamit. And this is someone... I'm almost certain I'm going to give him a better grade than you did um, just because that's kind of been the trend so far. Um, but I'm curious what you gave Landry and how you kind of evaluated him because I think you really could take an optimistic or a pessimistic view with Landry. Um, I think there are some things to be encouraged by, but there are definitely some things to be discouraged by. Um, he, he's had the the injury and really the injuries to start the year didn't come into the season healthy. Um, you know, I think you saw that with his, his shooting in the preseason um, and in training camp, he was affected by that wrist injury. Then he had the ankle sprain, which took him out for a month and came back and, and really had a much different role, went from a starter to a bench player. Um, and as we kind of discussed in part one, the Lou Trez pick and roll is the ecosystem of the second unit. And I think it has kind of marginalized guys like Landry Shamit and Jermichael Green in terms of their offensive role. Um, just kind of playing with the, the, the ball dominance of Lou and Trez. Um, so I, where are you with Landry? How do you evaluate him? Um, you know, Doc has said a lot of this stuff is on him and the coaching staff in terms of not getting Landry involved enough. So I think that's something to take into account when evaluating Landry. But um, what, what grade did you give him and, and how do you kind of approach, you know, contextualizing Landry's season? So I gave him a C and this is, I believe one of the three lowest grades I've actually given uh, that I have jotted down. My biggest problem is Doc Rivers related with him. I don't think the system they've tried to use him with and in has actually accentuated his skill set. I think it's kind of neutralized a lot of what he was good at. In the offseason, they talked about how they wanted him to become more of a lead ball handler at times, especially to help with the second unit. And that's fine. That's great. I think he should be. But I also think they focused too much on that when they knew 
that now that they have Kawhi, now granted they gave him this task before they knew they got were getting Kawhi and PG and all that. But now that they have those two, you don't need Landry to handle the ball as much. You don't need him to be this guy who plays in pick and roll settings as the lead ball handler. And it sounds very simple and it sounds kind of like you're, you know, you're pigeonholing him into a role, but just let him be JJ Redick. You can allow him to curl off pin downs with Zubats or Harrell and then flow into what JJ Redick and DeAndre Jordan used to do a lot of, which was they would get the curl and when JJ would catch, he'd short curl it and come down and pocket pass right to DJ for a dunk or a shot around the rim and he'd get fouled, whatever. That's what Shamit should be allowed to do. And I do think the injuries played a role. He didn't shoot well uh, before he had to leave due to the uh, high ankle sprain. You know, he had a wrist injury before that. And since coming back, he shot 38% from three on five attempts per game. But my biggest criticism for everything has been, A, his defense from beginning of the season to now has taken a dip which I don't know if that's ankle related. It could be. And B, I do not at all enjoy the Lou Williams, uh, Landry Shamit minutes. Those are minutes that I think the coaching staff needs to limit in the biggest way possible. 342 minutes together. They have a defensive rating of 112.6. And this isn't anything that I, that either one of them are doing because if, if just one comes off the floor when Landry plays without Lou Williams, defensive rating of 97.9. When Lou plays without Landry, it's 103. Those are fine. But together, they've been such a sieve that there's no competent amount of defenders forwards and center-wise that can make up for that. Because if your guards are getting killed at the POA, like, that's it. Like, you're done yeah. for. So... I do need to see Landry get better defensively. But I do think the coaching staff has... The how do I like they they have they have the hey, need let, they let need it out <laughs> yeah I'm sorry the coaching staff has an obligation to put their players in the best spot possible do not hurt a guy whether that be confidence or performance wise by not putting him in the role that he would excel at you can't put a square peg in a round hole that's not how this works. And I think they need to simplify with everything with Landry. Don't give him the Lou Williams minutes. Just don't play them together at all. You can figure out workarounds. And and just put him in the role offensively that you know he can exceed and excel at. And also, when you get to the postseason, let him start. I think that's the biggest thing. I think he should start at shooting guard and move everyone else down a position. Paul George should play the three. Kawhi Leonard should play the four. Maybe don't start him, but maybe that's your optimal lineup. That is the optimal lineup for success when it comes to postseason matchups, and I think they need to start experimenting. And I understand health has been a factor in limiting that experimentation, but I think that needs to be the thing going forward to get Landry on the right track because he is such a key cog to what this team could be with his shooting with his versatility of movement with his gravity etc this is a guy they need to perform at the highest level and he hasn't and part of it is on him and part of it is on the coaching staff and they need to do better so i think we're, we're pretty much in agreement on this uh i would say well, this is probably this might be the grade we end up disagreeing on the most because I actually gave Landry 
a B. Now I almost gave him a B minus. I went back and forth and I, I think it's it's pretty much I took the more optimistic route with Landry because to me this is mainly on the coaching staff. I think they've completely botched his role. I think they've they've marginalized him. I think that they like, you know, on paper, this was supposed to be like the shiny toy for Kawhi and PG. Like this, you know, Landry's coming off of the second best three-point shooting you know, season for a rookie outside of Steph Curry. Like he was, he had a historic rookie season, um, you know, as, as a shooter, you know, hits the the game-winning shot again, game two uh, against the, the Warriors. And I just think, you know, and I think to, you brought up a great point where I think everyone, you know, heading into the season was, was saying Landry should be the starting two. It should be Kawhi and, and PG at the three and the four. Now, you know, it's pretty clear Kawhi and PG do not want to start at the three and the four, or at least, you know, neither one of them wants to play the four. Um, while you can kind of hold that against them, like a, that's the superstar treatment that superstars get. They get to pick what position they start at and B, you know, LeBron James and Kevin Durant are two other guys who have been on teams where they should probably start at the four, um, you know, in, in the past and have chosen not to just because they don't. Now I, I think, those maybe are a little more defendable where, you know, some of those kind of early to mid 2000s, uh, you know, era seasons, there were more fours and, and more, you know, kind of banger type fours. So I can understand LeBron and KD maybe not wanting that all the time. Uh, but nowadays, you know, how many bruisers are you really facing at the four? It, it really is like, you know, one of the examples I always use is Blake Griffin, but Blake Griffin's out for the season. Um, and if you really go roster by roster, like even the top teams, um, you know, like, okay, like the, the Lakers, you have AD at the four, but Kawhi and PG have already defended AD. Um, you know, they're not much bigger than Mo Harkless, who, who's, you know, defended AD some. Obviously, Patrick Patterson has started the two matchups, but I, I just wonder, I mean, maybe the Lakers are its own thing where you have to start a four against them. Um, but, you know, Denver, Paul Millsap, I mean, he's good, but he's, he's not really scaring me with his physicality. Um, you know, Utah goes with wings at the four whether it's Ingles or Bogdanovich, um, you know, Houston's going with PJ Tucker at the four. Um, who, Dallas, I guess is, you know, Porzingis is, I don't know if he's the four or the but five. But he's not a banger. Or, he's not a banger. And, you know, now, okay, Philly, Al Horford, he's a bigger four, though he's a, a bit of a finesse player. Boston's going with wings at the four. Um, Milwaukee's going with, I guess, technically Giannis at the four. Um, but I, I just, I don't really see like the one matchup where it's like, holy shit, they got the four that Kawhi can't, or PG can't match up with, you know, I, I just don't see it. And then on the other end, you're now asking the, like, you know, for as good as Paul Millsap is defensively, you're now saying, Hey, you got to guard Kawhi or PG and, and maybe they put them, you know, they can't guard Landry. Maybe you put them on Pat and just play off of Pat and, and dare him to shoot. But I, I just don't, I, I agree with you. I, I think that's the ideal starting lineup. Um, now, with the context that Kawhi and PG don't want to start at the four, um, I think there's a different ideal starting lineup, which we'll get to a little bit later in this podcast when we talk about a certain player. Um, but I, to me, like, you know, Landry, now the part that's on Landry is he's not shot the ball as well as he did last season. He's only shooting 37% on threes, um, where last season with the Clippers, I want to say he was like 41, 42%. And overall, yeah, he was up there and um, he's, he's regressed on catch and shoots and wide open threes. Yeah. And, and well, I think to I shouldn't start, say wide open, like, but yeah, I think to start the season uh, that was on 
his his wrist. Um, I mean, he he downplayed it. He didn't want to talk about it, but I know that um, you know he did have a, a wrist injury to start the season, and you know that 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 was a factor. And I know a lot of you know people were upset with him during the preseason. Of why is he shooting so bad? Um, but that was kind of later explained that he had that injury. Uh, but that being said, like, like you said, the, the point guard situation, you know, he was supposed to play on the ball more, secondary playmake, ball handle, all that stuff. That hasn't really happened. But when it, in the brief moments it has happened, he has not been necessarily good in, in that context. But Landry is just so hard for me to evaluate because I think he might have had his role compromised the most of anybody on this team, really. Like, just go yeah. player by player. I, I don't know who else has had their role more compromised than Landry, um, you know, and, and more affected by the arrival of PG and Kawhi. And, you know, I thought it could be a, a, almost a positive where, he, you know, because of the attention those guys get, he's going to, um, you know, get better looks, uh, really be that kind of floor spacer around them. But because of the injury, because of, um, you know, Kawhi and PG not wanting to play up as much, uh, like he, he's just been in this weird kind of limbo and he's not fit with the second unit. It, it, you know, it's clearly not gone that well. Um, and, you know, aside from even the defensive stuff, I just think offensively it has not been a clean fit with the Lutrez pick and roll. Um, and I think to me, one of the biggest things that the Clippers have to figure out is, you know, I think they, for the second half, one of the top things on their to-do list has to be figuring out how to get Landry Shamit going, how to get him better looks, how to involve him more. Like they just don't even involve him more. And Doc keeps talking about it as, you know, it's on me. I got to do a better job. I got to draw more stuff up for him. Um, but, you know, we saw it in that Cleveland game a bit. He went four of 11, got some better looks. Uh, but let's see if this actually continues tonight versus Orlando. Let's see if it continues on this road trip. Because honestly, part of me is like, look, like Landry is one of the the – only young guys on this team. Like, I think you could really only point to Landry and zoo as the under 25 talent that has starter level, you know, potential on this team. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to compromise him, maybe they're better off trading him. I don't know. Like, you know, maybe, maybe losing him, like losing this version of Landry is not as crippling as losing last season's version of Landry. If they could get last season's Mm -hmm. version or close to it, that guy I think could close games. That guy can start games. That guy could be a huge piece for this team. But if, they're going to continue to not really prioritize him, his development. I mean, that's another thing. Like Landry, I think, has the potential because this team has has traded away so many of their picks. Like that's where Landry and Zoo, I think, are so important developmentally for this team is if you're kind of rolling with this, you know, kind of core or, or most of the core for the next two, three, four years, you want guys like Landry and Zoo to get their playing time, to get better, um, to really kind of prioritize their development because you're not getting those draft picks outside of the next two years. Um, but I, I don't feel like Landry's role and development has been prioritized. So that that's why for me, I I didn't know what to give him. I was like, you could give him a C minus and I wouldn't disagree with it. And you could give him, I, I think a B was probably the highest I would go. And who knows, maybe I'll change it to a B minus after this podcast. But um, I, I just felt anywhere from like a C minus to a B was appropriate for Landry because I think he's been mismanaged and, and, you know, he has not now, again, he has not shot the ball. Well, he has not played up to his effectiveness of last season, but I do think a lot of this is on the coaching staff. He's kind of been pushed to the side a bit, I think more so than any player on the, on the roster. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's been frustrating for all parties. So he's the one guy, I think the Clippers have to figure out 
Are we going to make him a priority? Are we going to find better ways to use him? And if not, maybe he is better to be kind of thrown into a trade where you can get more, you know, potentially on the trade market because he seemed like one of those guys they don't want to move. But if, you know, this version of Landry, I don't think is that effective. And if this is how they're going to use him, then maybe they should flip him and try to get something more. Yeah, I don't I don't think you're wrong. Like that's, and that's a frustration thing from watching this is, look, if you're not going to use him right, what's the point of having him? And, you know, you look at the numbers, he's shooting 47% on wide open threes. The open threes have been what's killed him, but wide open threes has been great. But the thing that I think has been the most frustrating is mostly due to injuries, not just to him, but to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard sitting out some games. Those three have only played 69 minutes together all season, but they've only played 50 minutes when it's those three without Lou Williams. Now, in those 50 minutes, they have a plus 17.8 net rating. They have a near 118 offensive rating, which is incredible. And I think the real litmus test, as you've put it, is how they use him, how they get him to better flow with the offense and to put him in more pristine position to make an impact offensively. Because defensively, I think you can live with him. He was fine early in the season. He's regressed since then. I don't know if that's a confidence thing or the ankle. It could be both. It could be neither. Who knows? But it's on the staff to help him. This is a guy you obviously wanted to keep. You played him a lot of minutes early in the season, mostly because Paul George was out, but you did. And now you kind of need him to perform but it's on them to help him. And that's why I went with a C because I feel like he's done okay, but he's kind of not lived up to the expectations I had for him this season. And it's not entirely his fault, but he's still underperformed to me. So I could actually be talked into like a C plus B minus range. I mean, it's just, I expected more, but it's on everyone. Everyone's got to help him. And that's just the reality of the situation at this point. Yeah, so I mean, Landry's the. I, I think uh, you know I have it right here. My first sentence is he's the most difficult Clipper to judge, just because it's so hard to, I think, kind of parse between his performance and his role and, and kind of the way he's been used. Um, let's go to Mo Harkless. Uh, Mo is another one that I, I know. So I, I'm gonna. So I, I had three. Um, B's Mo is my third B. So my um my B's were Landry, Mo, and Pat. Um Mo, I think people love to focus on what he can't do, which is shoot. And I think you know, you saw that that's why he's not in Portland, although I think Portland regrets that now that they have no one that could guard anybody on the perimeter. Um, but I think Mo's role has kind of superseded his actual like production and almost value just because you know, he has, as we talked about on, on part one, um, he's really covered, I think, for Kawhi and PG defensively. And he's he's been that, like, next defender that, you know, when the Clippers, you know, as a starter, when the Clippers are playing a, you know, whoever they're playing, he's defending the top perimeter threat. So that's James Harden, that's Luka, that's LeBron, that's Giannis. Like, um, you know, and he, he hasn't started against the Lakers, but when he's been on the court, he's defended LeBron a bit. So... I just think Mo's value as that kind of luxury defender 
where, yes, you could have Kawhi defend the best guys. Yes, you could have Paul George defend the, the next guys and kind of fluctuate that. And I think you'll see that more in the playoffs. But Mo has really taken that burden off of them and allowed them really to excel where I think they're better defensively, which is as free safeties, as roamers, as help defenders. I um, mean, you see Kawhi and PG's ability to blow up actions, um, to, to, you know, to reach, to help and recover, um, to, to read passing angles and, and offensive sets and all that stuff. Um, so I, I think Moe's and particularly his defense are point guards where we, you know, because Pat is also not the defender that he was even a couple years ago, um, you know, particularly on the ball, I, I think Mo has, Mo has really just kind of been the savior for everyone um, in the, that starting unit defensively on the perimeter where he can guard wings, he can guard guards. He's probably better defending guards and point guards. Um, but, you know, you've seen it against like a Kemba Walker against the Damian Lillard, um, uh, you know, uh, th- those are the first two that jump off uh, off the top of my head. Um, you know, I think Mo is is really just been a you know a calming, steadying presence defensively, and, and allowed um, you know Kawhi and PG to rest defensively, to just not overtax themselves defensively, and to really not have to handle the on ball burden, um, which has allowed them to again rest, you know, load manage a bit on the court, and, and then also be fresher offensively to, to handle that type of burden. So Mo to me, you know, he's another guy who just makes stuff happen. Um, you know, he, he's a good cutter. He gets offensive rebounds. Um, he's always in the mix. Uh, and again, people are going to focus on the shooting, which I think has actually not been as bad as, as people think, you know, he's at 33.9% for the season, not great, but not, you know, awful. It's better than Jerome Robinson's uh, three point shooting. Um, what are you and, doing? And, I'm sorry, but, um, but look, he, he's defended, like, I think he's defended Anthony Davis. Well, he, he's defended bigs. Well, like Moe's really been a Swiss army knife defensively defending one through four. Um, and I think he's just, he, you know, it, it almost, like give him some brownie points for being the, the type of player the Clippers needed for a decade and never had. Um, and yes, you know, he is limited offensively. He's an offensive liability. You can, you can't deny that even though he's not shooting the ball, like terribly, no one defends him and he's an absolute like guys just completely ignore him. They will play 10 feet off of him, um, you know, help on pick and rolls, help on penetration. Like that is an issue. And that is why I think his role is ultimately capped in that high teens, early twenties. You know, he's ideally he'd be your closing. He'd be your closer with the closers um, in that fifth spot. If he could shoot 36 to 37%, you know, not even higher than that, just kind of get to that 35.5 to 37%, somewhere in there consistently. I think he could be your closer um, in, in the fifth spot, but he, you know, he, he ebbs and flows as a shooter. Um, sometimes he lacks confidence as a shooter. And, you know, I think because of that, ultimately his role is capped on this team. But overall for me, I think Mo's been solid. I think his defense isn't perfect. He can get beat off the dribble as well. And that's just been a team-wide problem is is this team cannot stop dribble penetration and you know the point of attack but overall i think mo has been um you know played a very vital role in the rotation and for me i'm giving him a b i gave him a b minus and i'm going to start with the negatives before i get into the positives the team has been wildly better with him off the floor compared to on there are yep. uh, 5.9 points per 100 possessions better with him off the floor And that even includes defense. They're almost three points per hundred better with him off. That doesn't look great. That's just what the numbers say though. Uh, 
he is struggling shooting threes, but only above the break because from corners, he's been fine from the left corner. He's 10 of 20 from the right. He's four of 15. So 14 of 35 is an awful. You live with that above the break. He's five of 23, which is just woeful. So any above the break three, he gets, you're just not going to expect that thing to go in. Um, but however, and this is where I think the positives need to be talked about a little bit is negatively teams don't pay attention to him. There's no reason to, if he's in the corner and there's a pick and roll happening, what's the point of staying with him in the corner? Because every Mo Williams three or every Mo Williams jump shot is just a win for your defense at that point. However, positively, this is a career high in field goal percentage for him. He's shooting 63.5% inside of eight feet, namely because he has been such a great reader of the play and had backdoor cuts. He's stood at the dunker spot and waited for the short roll passes. He's been able to clean up on the offensive glass and get putbacks. He runs the floor very well in transition. In fact, I would probably say he's the best transition player at this point, which is a yeah. very scary sentence to say out loud. <laughs> um but he does little things and he defends guys. I don't think he's a great defender, but he does things that allow, like you said, Kawhi and PG to not have to exert the energy on that end of the floor. And if the entire goal of the regular season is to make sure Kawhi and PG get to the postseason healthy, well, Mo Harkless is a very vital part of that. And I do think we need to talk about his fit next to Kawhi Leonard, which is when those two are on the floor, the defense is very good. 101.9 points per hundred allowed with Kawhi off and Harkless on it jumps to 109. A lot of players on the Clippers deal with that because, and this is going to shock people, Kawhi Leonard is very good defensively. So <laughs> Harkless's value is kind of tethered to Kawhi and to a lesser extent PG in a lot of ways because he is the guy who will play the four. He is the guy who in certain lineups can play the three. A really interesting look would be if they ever let him play small ball five. That might be a thing that they try to do at one point. The options are kind of limitless with him. He is a Swiss army knife of sorts on the defensive end. He guards one to five. He can do things. I don't think he is the type of guy you can win a title with as you're starting for, which is why I think they'll either move him to the bench or their move might be made, but that's for another discussion. Well, he, he's the but most I likely do... guy to be traded for sure. Just based on yeah. contract. Yeah. I think. Because he does have an expiring and it's 11 million and it's in that range of contracts where guys who help you win titles usually make around 11 to $12 million. And he's the kind of guy who could get you to someone like that. I mean, he is making 11 million, so he could, it's just for as many positives as there are with him, there are some negatives. So I don't think it's rude to discuss them in when it comes to players. But with Mo, I gave him a B minus because the team is better with him off the floor, but there is a lot of instances where the team is better with him on it. And I think one way that they can maximize him is have him on the bench with Lou and Trez because he is a transition guy and because he is a cutter and because he can operate off of that pick and roll game by either being in the corner or by cutting from the backside. And I think that would help him because he would be a defender that could save both of them. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle this going forward. Well, and I think that brings us to the next guy, which is Jermichael Green. Um, and I think something that the team needs to consider doing is I think 
so you know, if we accept the premise that they're not going to start Landry at the two because Kawhi and PG don't like neither player wants to be the four. Um, like, you know, we can, we can theorize in, in fantasy land of this is what it should be, but we have to deal with the reality of if those guys don't want to start at the four, maybe they can convince them come playoff time and, and they make that switch then, but they clearly, you know, do not want to start the four. That, that is a thing. And if, you know, we accept that for what it is, we kind of work around that, which is where I thought heading into the season, Jermichael Green was going to be the starting four. And I think now with the sample size we have, I still think that ultimately might have to be the case where I would personally like to see with the way this this season has kind of gone, um, Jermichael start the four and you go Zoo, Jermichael, Kawhi, PG, Pat. Um, You know, Jermichael has way more stretch than Mo, um, you know, much more respected shooter and, you know, is is a good rebounder. So I, I think that makes that, um, unit even stronger on the glass is I think the most switchable of the four true bigs on this team. Um, I, I'm not putting Mo in the big man category. He's obviously I think a better defender and, and more switchable defender than Jermichael. Um, but I, I think you go with that. And then I think your second unit, um, again, if you're, you can't, if you're not going to start Landry, then I think he's going to have to play those Lou Trez minutes, but now you rearrange the second unit where it is Trez, Pat Patterson, Mo. Landry and Lou. And I think Roddy Magruder, who we'll get into in a little bit later, has basically been borderline unplayable because of how bad he's been offensively. Um, and I think Pat Patterson can theoretically do a lot of the same stuff Jermichael Green could do, just worse. Um, but you're still putting him in there as a spot up shooter around, like basically same offensive role as Jermichael Green as, you know, a pick and pop guy, spot up shooter around the Lou Trez pick and roll. You're adding, you know, Mo in there, kind of taking the Rodney role um, and, and being an upgrade on Rodney um, probably on both ends. Um, and then, you know, you're kind of hoping that Landry can get going a little bit. And actually, you know, it feels like Jermichael has kind of gotten some of the shots that Landry should get on the second unit. And you can kind of force feed, you know, Landry a little bit more. Um, and then obviously, you know, Doc has, I think, done a better job of staggering. We have seen Kawhi and PG more with the second unit um, compared to like in, in years past where he had, more clear cut first and second unit. So you are going to see a, a mix and mash of some of these guys together, of course. But um, I think that maybe is where the team needs to go because yes, ultimately you are going to be putting more on Kawhi and PG and Pat defensively taking Mo out of the starting lineup. Um, but that's probably the way the team's going to need to go anyway. But I think this team has gotten off to some terrible offensive starts because of the lack of shooting, uh, you know, with the starting unit. And if you're defending, um, you know, the Kawhi, zoo pick and roll or the PG zoo pick and roll, you know, you're going to load up on that, keep one guy on, on Kawhi or PG, whoever's out of the action, and then you're going to ignore Mo and, and, and Pat Beverly. And I think Jermichael green, you know, maybe defenses still ignore him, but he's a better shooter than Mo. And, and I think Jermichael has probably been the second guy, in my opinion, who's been the most marginalized um, this season with his role. Um, he's just not had the same quality of looks as last season has had so many quiet offensive performances. Um, and this isn't a guy who's necessarily going to be giving you 15 a night, even 12 a night, but I just feel like Jermichael has had stretches where you just haven't really noticed him out there. Um, and, and again, that's because the, the Lou tries pick and roll kind of cannibalizes um, possessions. And it, it almost feels like those two need to get theirs because they know when Kawhi and PG are out there, they're not going to be getting theirs as much. 
Um, so this is a long winded way to say like, um, my, my grade for Jamichael is a B minus. I went back and forth between a C plus and a B minus just because he has not shot the ball the same, um, as last season. But again, I kind of put a little bit of that on the coaching staff. I think I don't really get doc's fascination with keeping Jamichael with Lou and Trez. Um, I, I think, you know, doc has these kind of weird tendencies of like, he favors certain things and he'll just kind of stick with that stubbornly. And this is a thing. Like he, he likes Jermichael with Lou and Trez. He likes that trio. Um, I get it in theory, but I think at some point you really have to like, to me, the starting lineup is always more important than the bench because you're going up against another team starting lineup. That's usually their, their best five man lineup or, or one of their best five man lineups. And you need to make your five man lineup as good as possible. And, the Clippers have always had this thing where, you know, Lou's coming off the bench, Trez is coming off the bench, despite being maybe the third and fourth best players on the team, which is fine. But I don't think you can continue to, you know, bench Jermichael Green just because you like him with Lou and Trez. I think at some point it needs to be, what's our best possible five-man lineup to start? Um, and, and let's go with that. And, and I think Jermichael over Mo is potentially an upgrade. Now, maybe it's not, maybe it doesn't work. And, and you could try that for five to 10 games, see what it looks like and go back to Mo. Um, I, I just think, again, Jermichael is someone else who's been kind of marginalized within the offense. And to me, I think he kind of makes more sense next to Zoo, um, you know, as that floor spacer, as that rebounder, as that kind of tougher defender against bigs. Um, so, uh, yeah, but where are you at with Jermichael and, and where are you at with potentially starting him? I'm at a B minus, and I agree with you. He's been marginalized in a massive way that is absolutely infuriating. Um, the reason his grade isn't lower is because of this recent play of his since coming back where you've seen he's been such a big impact on the glass, and he always has been. But he, he more than anyone, inside gives you something that no one else can give you. He has the length and he has the drive, and he has the the actual strength to do legitimate battle with other bigs. I mean, yeah, obviously Zubats can do it, but I'm talking about like anyone else under seven feet. He's the guy, and I think he needs more minutes because of that because they're getting killed on the glass at times when he's not in or Zubats isn't in. And I look at, I honestly look at a couple interesting numbers. Uh, number one, he's basically been a net a net neutral guy. They're they're about the same with him on compared to off. Um, he's shooting 36% on wide open threes. He's shooting 36% above the break. Now I have a fun game for you. How many minutes this season do you think Jermichael Green has played without Lou Williams and Montrez Hill? Now, mind you, uh, Jermichael Green's played 677 total minutes. So out of those 677, how many do you think he's played with without both of them on the floor? 30. 46. Now, I got a better game. How many do you think he's played with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George? <laughs> uh, with, with both of them? With um, both of them. 15 minutes. It's actually shocking. I was a little bit shocked to find this. It's 52. However, okay. the well, team actually, net that, rating... He's been closing some games lately, so I, I guess that would... But yeah, go go ahead. No, you're good. The team net rating in those 52 minutes, which admittedly it's a small sample size, is plus 18. He's played 239 minutes with Kawhi Leonard. Team net rating, plus 15.6. 
it kind of seems that that is a guy that you would want playing next to Kawhi Leonard because he could space the floor. He could bang with bigs down low in the post or on the glass. He's a guy who you could do intricate actions with in Spain pick and rolls or with pick and pops or any any number of offensive sets. And they don't do it enough. And that has been, more than anything, the general theme of this entire Clipper season through the halfway moment or halfway point of the season, which is they just don't do it enough. They haven't incorporated Landry the right way enough. They haven't let Jermichael Green get the adequate minutes alongside the players who would benefit having him alongside them enough. And I think he deserves to start at power forward. I'm with you. I don't know what the infatuation is with having him stick on the second unit with Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell when last, literally, in the postseason, you let him start at center. Yeah. And so I think that, that could be a look we see again where, you know, I mean, the closing, like, I mean, this is going backwards to part one, but my thing with the whole zoo thing, I, I've tried to be realistic and understand, like, look, like he's going to close with Trez. That's just like, I, I think there are definitely certain matchups. I don't think he should close with Trez, but if we just, again, stop living in fantasy land and, and kind of take things for what they are. All right. He's going to close with Trez, but there should never be these like 16 to 18 minute stretches in second halves where zoo gets pulled at the, the, you know, the five or six minute mark of the third and doesn't play the rest of the game. And Trez just plays, you know, again, 16, 18 minutes straight at center. Um, I, I think, a really easy compromise for the whole zoo Trez thing is just put zoo back in the first four to five minutes of the fourth quarter, you know, that he's at 17 and a half minutes a game that would get him to, you know, 21.5 to 22 and give Trez a breather, have Trez come back in the last seven, eight minutes, close the game hard, you know, rested having both the third quarter kind of two, three minute rest break, um, you know, the first four to five minutes of the fourth and potentially even a timeout in there, you're getting Trez some pretty good rest. Um, where he can close the game strong. Now, a compromise to all of this might just be J- more Jermichael Green at the five. And I think that's a way this team could go to, you know, in the playoffs. I don't know if they go as drastic as starting him at the five, but you know, I could see them closing with him potentially at the five if they're not confident in Trez's uh, ability to close games. Because like you said, he's the second best rebounder on the team behind Zoo. Um, you know, his, his shooting's been up and down. Uh, he actually started the season off shooting well. Then since returning from his injury, he's been about 28, 29% on threes. So he has struggled a bit since then. But, um, you know, I think he kind of offers the best, like he is kind of that offense defense compromise between Trez and Zoo, um, where he, he's switchable. He can rebound, he can shoot threes, he can pick and pop. Um, that was a huge weapon against the Warriors who were the freaking Warriors. And, you know, they were, that was their one healthy round was against, um, you know, the, the Clippers. I'm not going to count the Marcus Cousins getting injured as, as them not being healthy. Cause if anything that helped them uh, more not having the Marcus Cousins out there. So I, I think, you know, the, the fact that they were able to take a couple games, including one, which Michael green at the five really spokes, you know, or speaks to his, his ability um, to, to really influence games with, with his, his shooting and, and stretch. And then defensively, you know, he's not the rim protector zoo is, but I think he's better than Trez as a defender. So, I think that's one direction this team might go. And look, you know, I'm having a vision of like, obviously I think they're, I think they're going to make a move. I think they're making one trade, if not two trades, I think they're going to try to mix things up. But if for whatever reason they don't make a move, 
I'm thinking like Jermichael, Kawhi, PG, Landry, Pat. Like I really like that that starting five together. Um, you, you got the shooting. You got defensive versatility. You are a little bit small, um, and that's something that's a consideration. But that would really depend on who you're playing, how much that would matter. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know to me, Jermichael and Landry um, are the two guys that look. We've spent uh, well, you know, 40 minutes between those two and, and Mo, where it's like. Um, I think the Clippers, like they've, ex- they, the thing is they've had so many excuses to experiment because of how many guys have been in, in and out of the lineup. And it's felt like the experience have been weird. And, and this is going to bring us to the next guy, Patrick Patterson. Um, I gave him a C and I, I gave him a C plus originally I switched it to a C, but I gave him a C because I don't think. I have a hard time saying he's been a negative just because I thought he was done. I thought he was terrible. I thought he shouldn't have been on the roster. Um, I thought he wasn't going to play. So from that perspective, he's exceeded personally my expectations. Um, I did not see him as being a rotation player. Um, He shot the ball better than he has in recent seasons. He's kind of had a bounce back year from that perspective. Um, So I'm going to give him a C. But you know, just from talking to people around the team, Really, no one gets the Patrick Patterson thing. Like, no one understands why he started against the Lakers twice, uh, or he started 16 games, but he's also had five DNPs. And it's like, I just, no one gets it. And and it's kind of confused. Like, really, anytime Doc thinks start Patrick Patterson, you should just start Jermichael Green. There's nothing Patrick Patterson does better than Jermichael Green. He does everything worse than Jermichael Green. Um, And I, I just, you know, if you want that role next to Lou and Trez, put Patrick Patterson in that role and start to Michael green. Like I, I don't, I don't get it, but I don't want to spend too much time on Pat Pat because I, I think we're in agreement on like our, you know, probably our perspective on him. But when, when he's shooting, he's fine. Like he, he can be a plus shooter. My issue with it is that he's been a very streaky shooter. Uh, he started the year off. Um, I have it here. One second. He started the year off uh, through uh, December 5th. So basically the first month and a half of the season, he was shooting 43.9% on threes. That's, that's amazing. That's elite. Uh, since then, shooting just 27.5%. That is a Rodney Magruder-esque, a Jerome Robinson-esque figure. Um, so for me, the thing with Patterson is if he's not shooting, I don't want him out there. Um, now, again, if, if Doc really loves that role in the second unit, give him that second unit role uh, and start Jermichael. But you know, if, if Pat is not hitting threes, he's not a great rebounder. He's not a great defender. He's a solid post defender, but that's kind of it. Um, and he's, I mean, he moves the ball. He's not really a ball stopper or a ball hog, but he's not going to break you off the dribble. He's not going to play make for other people. He's a pretty limited player on both ends. So if, if you want that shooter again, start Jermichael, put Pat in that Jermichael role, um, and, and, you know, play Mo with the second unit, but, I, I, no one, you know, no one is giving me a great explanation for this Pat Patterson thing. Like doc likes him for whatever reason. Uh, but nothing really supports that he's had a couple really good shooting games, which have kind of slanted his numbers. And I think it's, it's really perplexing, but for me, I'm giving him a C. I wouldn't mind a C minus if, if that's the way you went, but, um, he's, he's whatever. You ready? You ready to be stunned? I gave him a B plus. Whoa! Yeah, I'm gonna this tell is you our why. biggest. This is our biggest disagreement. I think I'm gonna tell you why. I expected absolutely nothing 
legitimately nothing. And I remember opening night, finding out he was starting and just being like, what the hell is going on? And look, at the end of the day, he's shooting 37% from three. The defense has been better with him on the floor. It's very weird. He starts. He started 16 games, as you said, and that he'll either DMP or get garbage time randomly. There was a game, I can't remember who they played, but Patrick Patterson came in, in the third quarter and provided a spark offensively, which I never thought I would say in my life. Memphis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the Memphis game uh, in Memphis. Yeah. And it's like, you, you know, so. Like, I'm going to push back on one thing though. I re- I completely reject all of his net rating on off stuff because he's basically I understand. only played with like, you know, with, with Kawhi and, and you know, he's basically played with the starters and everyone looks good next to Kawhi. You know that, I mean, and, and look, you could use that against zoo season. too. You, you could use that against zoo too. Um, I think when, when zoo is, is almost been handcuffed to Kawhi to an extent. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that's my only thing. Cause I, I, see, I'm I'm with you, but I I think we approach it the same way. I was actually considering giving him a B or a B plus, and then I just kind of went back to like when you actually look at his numbers, they're not that like his three point shooting is better than it was last season. But like if we just took last season out of the equation, he's basically having like a you know a normal three point shooting season for him based on his last few years. Um, and I'm just like outside of that, like he just doesn't do much. Like he's just kind of out there. He he just takes threes. And again, he's been such a streaky shooter where I'm like, because even I remember tweeting this, you know, sometime in the first 10 to 15 games, it was like, if you took out the Golden State game, he was shooting like, you know, low 30s to start the year. And it was just that one game was really loading up. I know you have to factor in everything. Like you can't just be selective with, with, with data necessarily, but it was very much like he had one really hot shooting game. And outside of that, he's been a mediocre shooter. And it just... You know, again, going back to the last month, he's shooting 27.5% on threes. If he's shooting that poorly, I don't even see why he should be playing. He started five games in the last month shooting at that clip. And it just, his role, like, you know, I'm not going to say he's been a negative because I guess he's been, to me, he's been a very, very slight positive or, or neutral. But it just confounds me that this guy's playing four, 14 minutes a night. Um, you know, and those are minutes that I think could go to Mo Harkless. Those are minutes that could go to uh, Jermichael Green. Those are minutes that could go to Kawhi or PG playing smaller. And then, you know, kind of the trickle down effect is more minutes for Landry or more minutes for Terrence Mann, which we'll get into at the end of this podcast. Like, I, I just think Pat Patterson has basically come in and, and stole minutes for God knows what reason. I don't know. Does he have nudes on, on Doc? I don't, I don't know what it is, but um, I'm just like, I, I don't I don't see it. I mean, look, I 100% agree with you. I think his minutes should go to other people. That's just, like, at the end of the day, that's all it should be. His minute, The extra minutes that he doesn't play should just go to Jermichael Green, Kawhi at the four, et cetera, et cetera. But I do have two interesting Patrick Patterson statistical notes for you. Number one, with Kawhi Leonard off the floor, he still has a positive 1.7 net rating. All right, well, I know nothing then. I, I got to show No, you. no, no. I mean, no, you're not wrong. Because with them together, it's plus 10.7. But this is the more interesting thing with the Kawhi thing with him. With Kawhi Leonard off the floor, Patrick Patterson's true shooting percentage is 56.1. With Kawhi Leonard on, it's 52.6. I don't understand Patrick Patterson. <laughs> and I think that's why I love him to some degree. Like, I don't get it. And it's it's wonderful. So I gave him a B plus because I I just don't know. I find him 
I find him wildly intoxicated from the standpoint of, I do not know what to expect out of him other than when he's getting the ball passed to him, I know he's shooting it. <laughs> uh, <coughs> excuse me. Um, I think I just <coughs> killed you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm dying a Patrick Patterson death on this podcast. Um, okay. So let's, let's, let's speed through these last ones because I, I don't think, I don't know. Do, do any are any of these guys really that? Well, I'm, I am not. Spending I guess 20 we're, 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 we're going to need ten minutes guys. for Jerome Robinson. Um, Rodney Magruder. Uh, quickly, C minus. I C minus. I give him C minus. C minus. Um, and I'm just going to say, uh, like, Rod Rodney's the one guy on the team where I'm like, I don't even know what the hell his role is. Like, I guess in in theory, he's like the the second unit stopper. Um, he kind of guards the best offensive player and he just spaces the floor in the corners. You know, he's a good, um, cutter. Uh, he, he is a solid runner floater game. Um, you know, he kind of has a, he always seems off balance. I don't know if you've noticed that too, but like, he never yeah. seems like he's like, I don't know if it's like, he's not coordinated or like what, but like I was watching some of his clips on synergy. I was just like, he on both ends. It's not just like one end or the other. Like he always just seems kind of like falling and like off balance and, and just kind of like he's this weird herky jerkiness to like his movements and his game. But look, he's shooting, he has a 47.6 true shooting percentage. He's shooting 28% on threes. Um, and I think his defense has actually not been that great. Um, you know, he, he tries hard. He has a high defensive IQ. I think he's a solid help defender, but on the ball, he dies a lot on, on, on ball screens. Um, you know, he's not a great pick and roll defender. Uh, I, I thought it really hurt them in the Denver game where Jamal Murray actually kind of got going with Rodney on him, hit a few jumpers against him. And um, yeah, so I think really if you're looking at the Clippers from a macro perspective with the trade deadline coming up, with the buyout market coming up, um, Rodney's spot, which is essentially he's essentially the 10th man uh, on the rotation. And just look at the minutes distribution, kind of the way the team has played when we've seen them healthy-ish. Rodney is the 10th guy. I think the Clippers need to upgrade that 10th spot. Um, you know, again, I don't know if that's adding someone and, and moving someone, uh, you know, uh, to, to the bench. And maybe it's Patrick Patterson gets the 10th spot. Rodney's out of the rotation. And um, it's what we talked about earlier with Jamichael starting and, and Mo coming off the bench. But I think that's been a weakness. He's been a big minus offensively and a neutral to maybe slight positive defensively, which ultimately makes him a minus for me. It's C minus. So I gave him a C minus because I had I actually had high hopes for him because he was kind of what the team was missing a bulldog guard uh, guard who could defend guys for fifteen minutes a night and just go all out and then I find that he just fouls too much and. I even wrote an article before the season where I thought this would be a big year for him. This could be a big year for him where, you know, he's going to get open shots. He's going to, you know, he has a nice little floater game out of pick and rolls into floaters, into lobs, which he did a very well in Miami with Hassan Whiteside. We haven't seen that because the team doesn't need him to do that. And you're right. I don't know what his role is on the team. Do you remember that stint he had? It was like a three game stint against Houston, New Orleans and Atlanta where he made like eight of 11 threes. Remember that stint? That that New Orleans game, he what, he made four or five that game? He, yeah, he was five of seven that night. Here, here's yeah. the incredible thing. 
He made eight threes in those three games. He's made nine since then. He's on 20% since that, since that uh, I mean, stretch he, of three he, games. He can't shoot. And to, to be honest, I mean, this is, this is not a crazy take. Um, I think one of the, this team's biggest issues, which could just be resolved by one of the team's biggest issues could be resolved. just the shooting where in terms of, no, I guess that, that was a poor way to ex- explain what I'm trying to say. Like, I thought heading into the season, one of the things no one was talking about with this team was I had a lot of questions about the shooting. I was like, you know, you're going to have Kawhi and PG who are, are plus shooters, but you're now asking a lot from Lou Williams to play off the ball and be a shooter. You have Patrick Beverly, who's been an inconsistent shooter. Mo Harkless and Rodney Magruder have been average to below average shooters basically every season of their career. You have Jermichael Green, who only recently became a good shooter. And this season has actually regressed. He's you know shooting 35%, which is about league average, maybe slightly below league average. Um, so, and it's basically all on like Landry Shamit. And Landry has even not shot the ball as well as he has in years past. Then you have Trez and, and Zoo who can't shoot. Um, you know, Patrick Patterson, I didn't even factor into the rotation. Jerome had, had not been able to shoot um, as of last season and has shot even worse this season. So I was like, where the hell is this shooting coming from and, and the spacing? Like you're, you're hoping... Jermichael Green and, and Patrick Beverly have good shooting years. You're hoping Mo and Rodney can at least be average. You're hoping, I mean, I, I thought Landry would have a better shooting season. Um, and then I'm like, where where else is the other shooting coming from on this team? But with that said, the shooting's been even worse than I kind of thought as like a pessimist yeah. heading into the season. And that's where I'm like, if this team just kind of regresses to the mean or like kind of hits a little bit of their upside from a shooting perspective, I think we're talking about a completely different, you know, season. Like, you know, it's maybe a top three offense, and and we're looking at lineups differently. We're looking at this whole thing differently. But because they have not shot the ball well, um, or you know, they haven't shot the ball poorly, but like, I just think guys individually can have better shooting seasons. Um, you know, we we've looked at the offense a little bit different, and guys have missed a lot of open shots. Um, they've had these, you know, a lot of times you kind of just look at their offense, and it's like, did the guys make you know, hit threes tonight? And that's kind of a, a simple way to look at it, but um, that's really been a huge you know, barometer for this team is, um, you know, there's a lot of open shots because of Kawhi and, and PG and Lou, and it just kind of comes down to our guys making them or not. And they have the nights they do and they drop 130, 140, even 150. And then there's nights they don't, and, and they're in that 90 to hundred range and, you know, losing to teams they shouldn't be losing to or, or kind of in close games that probably shouldn't be that close. So um, Roddy just kind of triggered that for me where it's like, like you said, I mean, he's not shot the ball well. He's been a liability. I mean, it's kind of been a team-wide thing where I think going into the season, if you were like, okay, this is like the positive kind of hit rate on threes, this is the neutral, and this is the negative, most of the roster has kind of been in the neutral or negative. No one really I could point to outside of maybe Lou is shooting above what I thought they would shoot, and that's been a problem. Yeah, Lou's been good. Lose lose outperform my shooting expectations. I'll say that. Um, yeah, the shooting's been a problem. And look, I'm just going to jump into Jerome because this is okay. <laughs> the, the, what, no, the reason because you're about to kill me. His twice. struggles for me. I'm sorry. His struggles for me are just purely shooting. I mean, there's other things, but purely shooting. I give Jerome a D minus. And if you asked me this after the first 15 games of the season, I probably would have given him about a C plus. 
something has happened and I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's confidence or whatever. And this kind of goes with the Rodney Magruder thing is now you have two guards who can't shoot, but you need someone to soak up minutes at times. Jerome, the team's been better with him on the floor rather than off. The defense that rating is insane. I don't get it. His, this is one of the most incredible ones. His defensive net rating the team is 6.7 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor defensively. He has a sub-100 defensive rating on the floor. Now, 378 minutes, plays a lot of garbage time, whatever. This is the incredible part, though. Jerome Robinson came in here as a shooter. That was what he was, should have been good at. 23% on wide-open threes. 28% on catch-and-shoot threes. He's shooting under... Uh, inside eight feet, he's shooting 45%. Now, to be fair, it's 60% inside the restricted area. Long twos, three of 14. I don't know what happened to the player last year in the G League who was basically dicing teams up shooting from three and had a green light. His confidence has completely eroded. And I understand it's the G League and stuff happens and it shouldn't be taken, you know, whatever. This is entirely a confidence issue. And it's absolutely demoralizing to watch this guy who the team spent a lottery pick on. And I don't even care that players that had got picked after him and performed better or whatever. That, that doesn't matter to me. It's purely for what he hasn't done that is frustrating because when he came out, he was a guy that was seen as a shooter. He was a scorer. And none of that has translated. And I don't know why. There's been shots from three that have just looked absolutely dreadful ones that have hit the side of the rim, one that have hit the corner of the rim next to the backboard. And they're open. They're wide open threes. And it's completely perplexing to me to see this happen to a guy. And in a, I, feel so, I feel bad for him because he was seen as a guy who should have been ready now. And last season they had so many guards that he never really got time to play. And he just never developed how they thought he would. And now I don't know what his role is. And to be perfectly honest, I think he's been fine defensively. Defensively, I think he's been actually solid to good. I think he's had good moments there. There was a play the other night, I want to say it was in the uh, Warriors game where they were losing. He dove on the floor for a loose ball down by 10, and I actually think that sparked the team to play harder. And that's one way to get minutes, but the problem is if you're getting the minutes, can you please perform? And he hasn't been, and it's it's crappy. Uh. So I, I gave him a D and the only reason, honestly, I, I mean, I, I, I would consider it everything between an F and a D plus. Um, it's you, you hit on the two things. I think number one, he, he's gotten better defensively to the point that people, um, you know, around the team have, have said the reason doc has continued to play him is because of his defense, not because of his theoretical shooting. And, you know, cause you, you've seen, he's still kind of been in that 10th, 11th man role when the team is, is not healthy. And because you, I mean, just every, any given night, there's one or two guys out, it seems like. Um, so like, he's still kind of been, you know, in that sort of second unit role. Um, but it, it's been more of his defense than his offense, because as we know, or like talking about, he, he can't shoot. And, um, you know, like it's the numbers are, are bad and, and you, you know, went into his, his catch and shoot and his um, open shots and like the 35% field goal percentage, 28.6% three point percentage, 58 point. I mean, the free throw percentage is really what bothers me because I'm like, how can you 
how can you be a shooter and shoot 58.8% on free throws? Like that is all mental. That, that really speaks to the mental side, but it's like, there's no reason Jerome Robinson should not be an 80% free throw shooter. Like he was billed the, the, the the goods we were sold on draft night um, (laughs) were this guy's a shooter. This guy is 22 or 21, about to be 22. He's a ready now player. He's a college scorer. He's a college shooter. You know, we're high on him. They, you know, they, and, and it just, he has a 43.7 true shooting percentage. He shot worse this season than last season. And last season he shot pretty bad. Um, I just think, you know, it's, it's the fact that he can't make wide open threes and free throws that really confounds me because this is the guy like this, there's a role wide open for Jerome Robinson. If Jerome Robinson was shooting again, not even not even 40%. Let's just say 36% on threes at like a reasonable rate. Um, you know, he could, ha- he could have that 10th spot because his defense has improved. Um, he does have some dribbling playmaking chops. You, it's not translated to the NBA, but if he could shoot 36, 37%, just be a normal, like decent to good shooter. He would have a role in this team. I think like he, he would take the Roddy Magruder minutes. I think he'd, he'd help a lot. Um, you could run some actions with him and Landry um, kind of off of each other and really put defenses, I think, in, in some interesting predicaments of, you know, w- w- how are you going to defend these two? Um, but it just hasn't happened. And I will say, because, uh, you know, w- with these things, people tend to sometimes come after a player's work ethic. Um, from everyone I've talked to, Jerome works very hard. He comes in on off days. He stays late after practice. Um, and he shoots well in practice and, and he shoots well in his shooting drills and stuff like this is completely some type of mental block that his shooting does not translate from practices and even from the G League last season into games uh, because last season he was not that good of a shooter either. Um, it just has not translated for whatever reason. Um, but that being said, I think because of his lottery pick status, he still holds some value. I, I think. Based off his performance, he should hold no value. He should be a negative value. Um, like I'd want to pick to take on Jerome, honestly, if I was a GM. But because of where he was drafted, because every team thinks they can fix someone, um, and because he has a theoretical kind of upside in in you know whoever's head, I think he has some value on the trade market. It would not surprise me if this team flips him. I would say after Mo, he might be the second most likely guy to be moved. Um, and I think it would not surprise me if it's, you know, Mo plus something plus Jerome plus a pick and, and you use that to get something. Um, I think he's going to be a throw in probably for some type of trade. The team will look, cause I think he needs a fresh start. It's clear. Like he's not going to find himself with the Clippers. Um, I think the, the ship has sailed on that. Uh, you know, whether it's the summer or next season that he gets dealt or it's the trade deadline. Like I think his time with the Clippers is over. Um, in, in terms of long term, I, I just don't see it, and I, I think for him, he's gonna, he, you know, maybe he's a reclamation project somewhere else, but I don't think it happens with the current context of the Clippers roster and with the, what the team's trying to do. You know, it's interesting you brought up free throw shooting because that's been what that that has been something that's very confounding to me is this is a guy who in his college career shot seventy five and a half percent from the line. His last season at Boston College, he was at 83%. I don't know what happened. I really don't. 
Because now we're talking about a guy who two seasons into the NBA in just literally just under 700 total minutes has taken just 26 free throws and he's shooting 61.5%. Now, granted, that's not a lot of free throws. If he makes five in a row, it bumps that percentage way up. But he doesn't get to the line. He doesn't make free throws when he gets to the line. And this is gonna this is something you and I have actually talked about many times before, which is if he could just get to be where Austin Rivers was for the Clippers, that's a win. And I don't know if he can get there because he is a hard worker. I know it because you know how I know it? Because his defense improved. And he was everyone kept saying pre-draft, this is a guy who can't defend. Well, now he can defend. And that tells you just how hard he worked at it. He took it seriously. He takes his offense seriously. Like you just spoke it. You see him in practice. He shoots it well in practice. He wants to get better. I hope he does. But I agree with you. I don't know if that's with the Clippers. There is a ticking clock. And at the end of the day, he might not just fit. And it really sucks because this he was a lottery pick and it feels like wasted potential but you can't just hold on to something because you thought it could be better than it actually is so i hope he continues to work i hope he starts hitting threes i'm a firm believer in in if you see one go in that could boost your confidence he hit one at the end of the of the last game for the clippers against cleveland maybe that'll do something i don't know he just needs something to go his way. And I, I'm rooting for him. It sucks to see someone struggling, but he's got to do it sooner rather than later. Well, and that's, I think that's, that's kind of the the rub here that, that's difficult is that at the end of the day, this is a results business and, you know, the guy can work as hard as he clearly does. He, he can improve in other facets, but it's, again, it's not just like, it's not like he's like a 34% three-point shooter and you're just kind of like, okay, well, like he's a little bit below average. He's not as good of a shooter as advertised, but like, you know, he's still kind of playable. It's like he's, I mean, he can't make wide open shots. And like, I've, I've noticed teams have started to ignore him. Like teams do not treat Jerome Robinson like a good shooter. Like, and now granted, he has not played a lot of, like a lot of rotation minutes, but in the rotation minutes, he does play. He is guarded like a non-shooter, um, and, and that's been a more recent development. And I just think, you know, it, it, again, it's not like it's not like he's been disappointing or like below average. He's been god awful. He, I mean, he's the worst shooter on the team right now, and, and that just doesn't compute. Like he should be up there with Landry and PG, or, or at least like the third guy, but behind those two. But he's. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, Trez and Zoo and, and some of those guys are technically like the worst three point shooters on the team if you want to get that technical. But, like, in terms of the guys that actually shoot threes, he's the worst three point shooter right now. Um, I mean, I, Rodney's technically worse, but, like, I, I think, I think for Jerome's expectations, he, he's more disappointing. So, um, quickly, uh, let's touch on <laughs> Derek Walton Jr., Terrence Mann, and Fiondu Cabangele. Um, these three, I think you could almost give incompletes to. Um, I know we both gave incompletes to Terrence and Fee. Um, I ended up giving Derek a grade just because this is his second season. Um, he's now actually played a decent amount of minutes and he's kind of had 
a semi-consistent role once he entered the rotation, whereas, you know, Fees basically only played garbage minutes and Terrence, you know, didn't play to start the season, then played, then didn't play, then played, now hasn't played basically real minutes in like a month. Um, you know, he played 12 minutes against Cleveland, but that was all garbage time. Um, and, and Terrence has a really weird minutes breakdown where he's played double digit minutes in 12 of his 25 games. And then the other 13 games, he's played four minutes or less. So he's almost exclusively like <laughs> been in the rotation, like heavy or just not, you know, only played garbage minutes. Like there's been no, he's not played like eight minutes in a game or nine minutes in a game. It's literally been like, you know, almost 15 plus or four or less. Like he has this very weird minutes distribution. Um, but D- Derek Walton, I, I think he's, I, so I give him a B plus and I admit, you know, if you're grading on again, like the ranking, the players of how good they are in comparison to each other. No, he's not a, a B plus. Um, but to me, this is a guy who should not be, should not have made the roster. Like, let's just be real. The, the Clippers mm-hmm. wanted a open roster spot. They wanted that flexibility to sign a buyout guy or, you know, potentially take on an extra player in a trade. Uh, he impressed them so much in summer league training camp and the preseason that he earned that 15th roster spot and, you know, has actually come in and given them some good minutes. And now I know the net rating stuff isn't great uh, that, you know, they've been worse, but a lot of the time he was playing, they were very shorthanded and, and they just needed kind of a steadying presence out there. So for me, um, Derek Walton Jr., because of the expectations of that he wasn't even going to make the roster. And then once he was on the roster, he was like the 15th guy by a mile and only played garbage time for the first month and a half. And then randomly gets thrown in by Doc Rivers against the Wizards on the road and actually comes in and plays, you know, 10, 11 minutes, hits some shots, um, helps run the offense, plays good defense. Um, like he's just been a steady guy and, you know, 64.3 true shooting percentage, which I think really speaks to he plays within himself. He takes good shots. He's almost having a 50, 40, 90 season, which is nuts. You know, he's at basically 49% field goal, 45%, three point, 86% free throw. Um, like he, he's been very efficient. He's been a solid ball, you know, defender, um, not super sexy, not going to do a lot of things that jump out at you. Not going to make a lot of memorable plays necessarily. You know, he'll take some charges, die for loose balls, that type of stuff. But Derek Walton Jr. Overall, um, you know, one of the stories of the season, I think been really impressed with him. Uh, he is an NBA player, in my opinion. I don't know if he's a backup quite, you know, or maybe he's a low end backup, but he should, he belongs on NBA rosters. And I, I'm, you know, I've been very impressed by him. Yeah. I also actually gave him a B plus as well. Um, I did not expect anything out of him, but I've been impressed. Now the numbers don't seem impressive for the for the net rating. They're they're seven points worse with him on the floor compared to off. But defensively, he's helped. He did have that really good game against Sacramento on the road, if you remember, to close out uh, twenty nineteen. He had ten points, two rebounds, and assist in that game for the Clippers. At the end of the day, he's a very steady guy, and you know what? That matters. Having a fifteenth guy who you know what you're just going to get out of. Like, this is a guy who's going to compete. He's going to not make mistakes defensively for the most part. We can kind of rely on him as a ball handler. And, you know, yeah, he's made a couple tough shots. He's made a couple tough mid-range pull-ups. But he's been fine on pull-up, not pull-up threes, but on uh, catch-and-shoot threes. Granted, the sample size isn't, you know, astronomical. But I do want to say he shot like 40% his last year at Michigan from three. So he can shoot. 
And I'm fine with him playing six, seven minutes a night if that was the case. He's not going to get uh, 12 minutes a night on average. I think he's at 10, but that's because a couple of the games he they extended him because of injuries. I want to say uh, the Bulls game, he played like quite a bit, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Because uh, I believe like four guys were out. But um, I've been impressed with him. And it just shows you don't have to be a star. You just have to do well in your role. Yeah. Um, now let's let's wrap this up with Terrence and Fee. Um, on the Fee front, I don't really have much to say uh, just because we have not really seen him. You know, he's only played 44 total minutes, and that's basically all been garbage time. Um, I, you know, like, uh, I think that the team... What's funny is the team thought he was going to be the ready now guy when they drafted him. Obviously, they took him in the first round, and you know, not only took him in the first round, but traded, um, you know, a, a f- the, the you know future pick, the Philly pick, the Philly pick, um, to get him. So you know, th- you know, to trade into the first round, the, the team did not have their first round pick as uh, you know as, as per making the playoffs. So they clearly valued him enough to trade into the first round for him, and. They were high on him. You know, it sounded like they were kind of envisioning him being the third center and, you know, not playing much necessarily, but, you know, having some, you know, five to eight minutes a night could, could give them. That's not been the case at all. Now, he's dominated in the G League, um, you know, 17, nine, a couple blocks, uh, you know, good true shooting percentage. But, you know, from my understanding, uh, I think they think he needs more time developmentally. His offense and his rebounding are far ahead of his defense, despite his really good uh, shot block numbers. Um, and they just don't have much confidence in his ability to play actual rotation minutes right now. So right as of right now, he's played the 37th most minutes out of his draft class, including 12. You know, there's so 30, you know, 36 guys have played more than him. 12 of those are second round picks, including Terrence Mann, who's played almost 200 more minutes than him. Then Terrence has had a really weird year. Where, you know, like technically you could grade him. He's played 216 minutes, including starting five games. But like I said, he's had a really weird up and down role. Um, and it's, it's just kind of surprising because Doc really trusted him to start the year. You know, he started him and you started him a couple preseason games, uh, started him early in the season, gave him uh, kind of started him off slow, but then, you know, gave him a bigger role for a bit. And I didn't think Terrence was bad. Like, you know, he he does have his flaws. You know, there's a reason why he was a second round pick. He can't shoot. Um, not only can he not shoot, he doesn't really take threes, although he's gotten progressively better at that during the season in terms of at least taking them. Uh, defensively, he makes rookie mistakes. Offensively, he makes rookie mistakes as, as far as turnovers and misreads offensively. Um, but he's also a guy who I think just makes stuff happen. You know, he reminds me of, of Ty Wallace. Um where, you know, a lot of the similar weaknesses and strengths, but like he can get downhill, he can get out in transition. Um, I think he has, he has better court vision than, than Ty Wallace. Um, and he's just kind of this sort of do it all guy who can do a little bit of everything. Isn't good or great at anything necessarily. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I just don't really get, you know, it's funny. I asked doc at the, you know, towards the beginning of the year, like why he had kind of stopped playing Terrence. And he's like, well, you know, who am I supposed to play him over? That's doc's go-to is, is, you know, kind of putting you on the spot. 
where uh, one of these days I'm just going to answer honestly and, and tell him what I actually think. But, um, <laughs> uh, but he kind of be the put, last day you show up. <laughs> yeah. He kind of, he kind of puts it on you to be like, all right, well, who is he supposed to play over? He's like, is he supposed to play over Rodney? Is he supposed to play over, um, you know, I forgot who else. he said someone else. He said Jerome. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, he should play over Jerome. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't get like what, like, I, I guess where I'm at with Terrence is like, I don't see what drastically changed from the guy that doc. Cause my thing, cause I, I did kind of respond to doc and I was like, yeah, but you were starting him. So you clearly had like a level of confidence in him. And then to go from, you, you don't just start a guy in the preseason and then like bench him. I mean, you can do that. It's not necessarily that uncommon, but it was just kind of weird for him to like show all this confidence in Terrence and all of a sudden just stop playing him. Like you thought at least if, if he's starting games in the preseason and beginning of the year, he's going to be a rotation guy. Like I thought he was going to be the 10th guy. I mean, kind of be that extra ball handler, extra point guard, um, you know, help them get out in transition, but that hasn't happened. Um, and again, like the sample size is so small his role has been so weird. He, he's, you know, he, a lot of times that he's played, they've been so shorthanded that it kind of gives him, you know, kind of a, I don't know. He's almost had too big of a role and I'd like to see him have a small role, but like a real role w- within the context of the team. I just don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know if that's ever going to happen at least this season. And yeah, so I, I didn't feel great grading him. I mean, my initial grade I was considering, um, when I was thinking about it, it was like a C or C plus um, just because, you know, again, this is like, I think the hype train on Terrence Mann got way too out of proportion when it's like, he was a, um, not even just a second round pick, but a late second round pick for a reason. Um, you know, this guy has some flaws. He, he has some weaknesses, but um, I, I think given all that to me, if I had to give him a grade, I'd give him a C, C plus. I'm not going to grade fee just because he's played garbage time only, but um I do think it's an incomplete for both of those guys and I'm still don't know much about them. I think at this point of the season. So I give them both incompletes as well. And I'll speak to Terrence first because he has played the most minutes and this was the problem. This was the problem. They hyped him up too much. And I don't mean like the team went all out and like, Oh, he's going to be amazing. Like there was the Jerry West factor where people like Jerry West talked him up. Everyone talked him up to the point of like, Hey, this guy's going to be a big time player for us possibly this season. And people fans took that and ran with it. And that's also the problem. Like he's a second round pick. You shouldn't expect much right away. And as you said, he not only can he not shoot. My biggest issue is there are a lot of instances where he just won't. And that's a bigger deal than just not being able to. Cause I would rather a guy take an open three and miss it than just not take it and put someone else in a worse spot. Because the likelihood of you making the open three is better than whatever that shot was going to be. I mean, you look at the G League, Terrence is averaging 16 points, eight rebounds, six assists, you know, a steal and a half a game, shooting 47%, but he's only shooting 28% from three. Not great from the line, 68%. But at the same time, like it's the G League, like he's supposed to get his his feet wet and, you know, kind of deal with it. His role has been yanked around quite a bit. Like like you said, he was a starter at one point. Like when there's heavy injuries, he starts. When there aren't, he's just a basic, uh, basic uh, just guy who plays at the end of blowouts. And so I think it's very hard to evaluate him, but it's even harder to evaluate Fee because Fee primarily has just been in the G League and shooting 45% from the field, 27% from three. Now I will say 
Fee went through a stretch where he made roughly half of his threes over like a 40 or like over about a 50 shot sample size from three. He made about half of them. And then he went through a stretch where he missed 23 in a row. So that's going to, both of those are going to swing your percentages in wildly opposite directions. So we don't know what he is as a shooter and we won't know for a while. The thing I do like about Fee, he takes six threes a game in the G League. I like that because he knows what he can do. He knows he's a shooter. He knows he's a rim runner. That's his offensive game. He's still not much of a passer. I like his rebounding. I like it better when he actually decides to box out. I like his uh, shot blocking, but he's got to cut down on fouls. He is a guy that I think has by far has the higher upside between him and Terrence Mann. And I don't know if this is shocking to say, I think Fee is the guy to replace Jermichael Green next season. So I think that's why they picked him when they did, because his skill set allows him to not only fit next to Montrose Harrell and Lou Williams as a stretch four, but possibly be a rim protector in uh, lineups where let's let's say, and this is obviously getting ahead of ourselves, let's say Montrose Harrell doesn't come back to the team in free agency or the team trades him, whatever you, whatever you want to call it. Fee is a guy who could be the backup center or the stretch four next to Montrose Harrell. Or in certain lineups can play next to Zoo, and then you have two seven-footers who can block people. So his value is his versatility to play two positions on the front line and be able to stretch the floor. I've said that if the Clippers can somehow, through magic elixirs and whatever, get Fee to be a Serge Ibaka type, that's a win. And if he ever gets close to that level, that is a massive win for the Clippers. And I think he has the potential to do, to do it. He's only started playing basketball uh, about like five or five or so years ago, you know, so he has the natural talent. He's gotten this far. It's just going to come with reps and he's getting it in the G League. We'll see if it translates going forward. Otherwise, it's just a late round pick that they kind of just wasted, which you know what? You'd rather take the shot and miss than not try at all. So I give them both incompletes. They both have a world of potential, but either one of them busting or, or I shouldn't say busting, but either one of them not reaching their potential uh, is not going to cripple the Clippers. But if one of them does reach their potential, that's a major win for them because finding talent at the back end of the first round or, and even the second round is one of the ways teams with superstars can, can keep their window open longer than other teams. And the Clippers kind of need to start doing that. They have a pick this year, but those two need to, need to may, maybe come around to being players that can be depended on, not just in big moments, but for minutes. And they need to put it together. It doesn't have to be now, but their development is critical to a championship window four, five, six years down the line. Well, if you're still listening to this, you are a saint. Thank you from both of <laughs> us. Uh, you, we got really in the weeds here, and I hope you enjoyed it. I, I, you know, we just potted for two and a half hours about you know really the. I mean, the larger point of all of this was was basically a first half look at the season, right? And and kind of the context of each player their role, their position, um, how they've performed. And yeah, I mean, I think you're going to, this is as comprehensive as a look as you're going to find um, on on the first half of the Clippers season. 
They are currently at the 41 game mark. So we are literally at the 50% mark of the regular season. Um, Justin, thank you for your time. Uh, I, I appreciate it. Um, you're, I'm sorry for talking everyone's ear off. No, no, this was, uh, this was great. Like, I, I think this, you know, we, um, what was our biggest disagreement? We, we were pretty close. Patrick Most Patterson. Thing, Patrick, Patrick Patterson. Patterson. That was the and, one. And then the other one was Landry, right? Uh, yeah. Cause I think I, you had like B plus and I was at C. I, I was at B, B on Landry. I, I go, I, it's just, you know, as I said, I think it's, it's so hard for me to divorce his, screwed up role from his production. Um, but, and that's been know, the but, overarching theme for a, yeah. a lot of guys is the roles are not what we thought they would be. And that's okay. I guess the, I guess the one takeaway would be things have not gone how we thought they would go. Guys have not been put into roles that we thought they would get. And the team is still 28 and 13 at the halfway point. Yeah. And I, I will say, I, I think changes are on the horizon. Uh, I think this team is going to make a deal or two. I don't know if it's going to be peripheral or big. We shall see. Um, seems like, again, Mo Harkless is the most likely to get moved. Jerome's in that mix. Uh, I, I think Trez could be in the mix. I, I you know, I know he's hard to trade um, just because of his contract, but if you can package him. Like, I think if the team, again, as we talked about with Landry, if the team kind of accepts like, hey, I don't know if Landry – if we can find the right role for Landry, you put Trez, Mo, and Landry together in a pick. I think you could get something interesting potentially back um, for for those three plus a pick. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. There's only what two and a half weeks. Uh, I guess a little little more. Uh, almost yeah. Three weeks until the until, there's until, there's 14 games left, I believe, or 15. Well, I'm saying to the trade deadline. Uh, oh, to so, the trade so deadline. February sixth. Oh, yeah. You got uh what. 15, this is my, uh, th- exactly three weeks. We're three weeks away from the trade deadline. Um, well, it, to the day, it, it's going to be on a Thursday. So uh, as it always is. So yeah, uh, and it's 3.54 Pacific time right now. So three weeks from now, the trade deadline will have just passed an hour before. And, uh, or is it, is it 3 p.m. Eastern or 3 p.m. Pacific? I think it might it's be Eastern, Eastern actually. So yeah, we'll, we'll be four hours past the, the trade deadline. So that's crazy. Less than three weeks of the trade deadline. Um, 11 games. 11 yeah, games before the I, trade. And honestly, I just want to say this real quick. I'm really glad the Clippers don't play on the trade deadline this year. <laughs> I'm, 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 well, what's funny is that they're, they're going on that four-game trip, and then it's all-star break. So, like, it's going to be madness where they don't play, so that they're off, but then they immediately go on a trip, and then it leads into the all-star break. So, um, similar to last season, it's going to be hecticness if they do make any deadline deals. Um, or at least that guy will be able to make the trip with them, um, you know, out, uh, but that's, that's going to, I think that's Minnesota, Cleveland, Philly, and Boston. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but Justin, where can people find you on social media and your Patreon? So they can find me on Twitter at, at flybynight. That's F L Y B Y K N I T E. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash flybynight as well. Um, I have an article that'll be dropping in the next couple of days that I'm working on. So just be on the lookout for that. All right. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, I want you to go to the app right now and subscribe. Um, you can go to theathletic.com slash Clip City uh, to get a special discount off of this podcast. That will help me out. It will help the podcast out. 
or you could subscribe off of one of my articles. There's always a discount code going um, and that would help me out. I would appreciate it. Um, if you are a Clippers fan and not subscribed, I think you should give us a shot. Uh, I think you will like my coverage as well as our national NBA coverage that um, always trickles down into the Clippers. So again, thank you guys for listening to the last almost three hours of podcasting. Uh, we appreciate it. And we hope we covered everything because I think we did.